Okay. So, um, for the last couple of years, I think it's been already, um, I've been going through this book, Don't Believe Everything You Think, um, which is a commentary that, that I did on uh, a Tibetan poem called The 37 Practices of Bodhisattvas. And each uh, verse can be understood independently of the others, uh, as well as part of a, of a whole group. Um, they're quite powerful verses, actually. And uh, if you want to listen to the preceding verses, then I think they're online. In fact, I know they're online. Um, so we're on, of the 37 verses, we're already quite far along. We're on verse 32. But um, ver don't worry about it. You'll, you'll get it. I, even if you haven't uh, had the first 31, okay? Uh, so this verse says, if through the influence of disturbing emotions you point out the faults of another bodhisattva, bodhisattva is somebody with love and compassion who's working for the benefit of others. So if you point out the faults of another bodhisattva, you yourself are diminished so don't mention the faults of those who have entered the great vehicle, the path to full Buddhahood. So this is the practice of bodhisattvas. Okay, so it says here, you know, if through the influence of disturbing emotions we point out the faults of a bodhisattva, we don't really know who's a bodhisattva, uh, do we? I mean, who has... Spontaneous love and compassion and an altruistic intention regarding all beings. You know, we don't know them because bodhisattvas realize beings don't come with name tags. We all wear name tags, but they don't wear name tags saying, Hi, I'm a holy being. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because that would destroy the whole thing, you know. If you're a really holy being, you pretend to be like everybody else, and then you do your good works, and people can learn by watching your example, by listening to what you say. If you go around saying, hi, I'm highly realized, then, <laughs> you know, then everybody's going to, you know, bow to you and put you on the the next, uh, not on Fox News, but on, uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Some news, and you'll be interviewed by this one and that one, and then of course, you know, you have to keep up your status, so you make more up more and more glorious uh, uh, descriptions of things that you haven't accomplished, but you're pretending you have. Okay, so th that's why the people who really are spiritually advanced they don't go around uh, proclaiming it. So the the thing is here, if we, you know, we don't know who is a highly realized being, who is a holy being, you know? So basically what this verse means, if through the influence of disturbing emotions you, you point out the faults of anyone, because it could be anyone, you yourself are diminished. What do you think about that one? How often do you point out the faults of other people? Once a day? A hundred times a day? <laughs> yeah. Do you ever go a day without pointing out the faults of somebody? 
without criticizing somebody? I don't know about you, but I'm really good at telling people their faults. Yeah, even if they don't think they have them, I know <laughs> that those people have those faults and they're just in denial. Yeah. So for their own benefit, because they're, they're unconscious, you know, then uh, with my great compassion, I will tell them their faults so that they can work on improving them. <laughs> yes? Yeah. Now, what's the definition of somebody else's faults? It's anything that I don't like about them. Okay. That's not the same definition of my fault, you know. My fault, I don't have any. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, mm, well, dare I say this? <laughs> you know that I'm wondering whether to talk about politics when I pause like that. <laughs> Is this a safe crowd, or is anybody going to beat me up? <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> now I forgot what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, when I said I don't have any faults, you know, I'm just merely copying um, uh, some of maybe one of the presidential candidates, <laughs> you know, who also doesn't have any faults. <laughs> yeah, so so maybe are you like that too? Yeah, yeah. We don't have any fault. Other people have plenty of them, including that person I was talking about, <laughs> who doesn't <laughs> think he has any. Yeah, but <laughs> but see that's because he doesn't know. But I know I don't. You know. So whenever anybody tells me my faults, they're wrong. Yeah, clearly wrong. And I reject what they're saying because, you know, again, for their own benefit, I can't let them lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but, but, you know, when they have faults, like I said before, they're not of compassion so that they can work on themselves and correct themselves. I will tell them their faults. Okay. Now, what usually happens after we tell people their faults? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, you know, we believe in equality in America, so I tell you your faults, then you tell me my faults. <laughs> right? Yeah. And if I tell you uh, your faults in a certain tone of voice, you will tell me uh, my faults in that same tone of voice plus one. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, uh, you know, again, since you're exaggerating and uh, you're mistaken, then I have to correct you again. So I use the same tone of voice, plus two. <laughs> yeah, and I say it a little louder because I think maybe you didn't hear it the first time. <laughs> yeah, and maybe I wave my hands and get red in the face to just as an act, you know, so that you know I really mean what I'm saying. Yeah, it usually doesn't work out so well, does it? Yeah. There are 
good ways to point out things to people that are disturbing to you. Okay? But just because something is disturbing to me doesn't mean it's a fault in the other person. Yeah? Because lots of things that are disturbing to us, you know, are they're ethically neutral, aren't they? Yeah. I have one friend who, um, you know, I happen to walk with a lot. And her, I don't know how she walks, but it's always clump, 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 clump. No matter what kind of shoes she's wearing, even the ones, you know, with the soft bottoms. Clump, 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 clump. I don't know how she does it. <laughs> clump, clump, clump. It, but it drives me buggy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, is that a fault in her? No. It's just something that drives me buggy. Which and the drive me buggy part is my my part of the thing. You know, she she's not trying to but drive me buggy. I don't think. <laughs> If she is, she really <laughs> had to practice hard to do that. But, um, yeah, so just because I see something as a fault doesn't mean it is a fault. That's one thing to remember, okay? If there are things about another person that disturb me, there's a way of informing them of that without blaming them and telling them they're a bad person, horrible person, they don't deserve to be loved or appreciated, um, you know, because they go clump, 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 you know, or because they have some other habit that, that drives me crazy. Okay? So here is where um, a, lot of a lot of times at the Abbey we practice um, NVC, nonviolent communication. Some of you may be familiar with it by Marshall Rosenberg, yeah. He, he passed away just a few months ago. Um, <coughs> but brilliant what he, he has, where you talk about your feelings and your needs. So for example, with this person who walks too loudly instead of, God, I wish you, you know, who taught you to walk like that? Didn't your mother and father tell you how to walk properly and not go clump, clump? It drives me crazy. Can't you stop already? I've reminded you 15 times. Okay, that's a great lead-in to an argument, isn't it? <laughs> yeah? There's another way of doing it where you say something to the effect of, um, are you aware that when you walk, you know, that there's, you know, there's some noise when you make your steps. Uh, no, I'm not aware. Oh, well, I just wanted to make you aware, you know. Or maybe they say, oh, yeah, I am aware. Other people have told me that, you know. And then you might say, um, you know, I feel a bit annoyed because uh, when I walk, I really like to focus on what I'm thinking about or focus on the conversation with you and the sound really disturbs me, yeah. And, uh, you know, and say something like that in that tone of voice where you're not 
you know, blaming somebody, okay? And then uh, you make a request, you know, would you consider, you know, going and learning how to walk properly? No, <laughs> would you consider, <laughs> yeah, being more mindful? Uh, you know, something like that. But then forget it, you know, it's like we let the person know we can't control them, they have yeah. a choice, and, you know, and since the part about it bugging us is our thing, yeah, then we also have to get over that, you know. It's not that the world's going to be happier by that person changing how they walk. I'm going to be happier if I change what I pay attention to. And instead of paying attention to this thing, pay attention to the person's good qualities. Okay? So, uh, yeah, this, who do you find the most faults with, aside from politicians and Wall Street? Okay, who do we find the most faults with? Yeah, <laughs> your spouse. And after that, who? Your parents. Okay. And after that, whatever other relatives happen to be around. Yeah. You get really mad at your kids, don't you? But your kids, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Th it's much easier to forgive your kids. Yeah. Because you're going to control them and make them change. <laughs> 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 yeah. Other people, it's, you know, we can't really control so much. So, uh, you know, the fault-picking mind really goes to work on them, yeah, because we're around them the most. Yeah. And then we make demands, and they make demands, and then none of us are very happy in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Because then it becomes a contest of wills, a contest of who can shout the loudest, yeah, doesn't really bring much happiness. Uh, so what this verse is addressing here is what I call our critical judgmental mind, okay? The mind that likes to pick faults with other people, yeah? And we, we've developed this fault-picking talent for many, many years. Yeah, like since we were born. Actually, from our previous lives as well. Okay, and we've learned how to pick faults. Mm -hmm. We've learned how to judge people. Yeah. And we make all sorts of judgments. You know, we're just sitting somewhere. I go to the airport, well, tomorrow morning, early I'm going to the airport. Um, you know, and you walk you watch people, and the mind's making up stories about them. Yeah. Oh, look how this person's talking to their kids. Don't they know they shouldn't talk to their kids this way? Look how those kids are treating their parents. Don't they know that they should be more respectful? You know? Look at the way, no, 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 you know? Why is this person dressed like this? Yeah. It's 68 degrees out, and they're wearing three jackets, you know? 
or it's 48 degrees out and they're in their shorts. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, why, you know, why are they dyeing their hair blue? You know, orange would look better. <laughs> you know, the mind always going on and on with all sorts of judgments about people. Yeah, how they could improve, how they should change, and especially for the people that we're closest to. So many judgments about them. And then we don't realize that these are judgments that we're making up. Yeah, we think they're actual faults in the other person. And then we think the only way I'm going to be happy is if they change. Yeah. Like I said, I don't have any faults. So they have to change in order for me to be happy. Yeah. And so clearly, I, because I don't have any faults, I also have very good advice for people how they should change, what they should do, what they should not do. And so I bequeath upon them my sagest <laughs> advice so that they can become better human beings and quickly attain Buddhahood. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is that they don't want to hear it. Yeah, that's a big problem, isn't it? We give people all sorts of advice and they don't want to hear it which just goes to show how stupid they are <laughs> <laughs> and how they need our advice even more <laughs> because they're so s foolish, you know. So, yeah, there's also another way of looking at it, you know, because we've gone through our whole life telling other people how to change. Yeah, haven't we? And it hasn't worked. They don't change the way we want to. You know how you get in these relationships with people that have some really bad problems, but you're going to be their savior and help them overcome their bad problems. Yeah, have you done that? Yeah? yeah? How, l <laughs> how long did the marriage last? Yeah, good for you. <laughs> Good for you. Most people, you know, go through and then after a few years realize that, you know, they came in as Jesus to save this other person who doesn't want to be saved. And, you know, because people are not going to change until they want to change. And thinking that we are so kind, we are so powerful, they love us so much that as a sign of their love, you know, they will stop, you know, drinking and drugging. Right? Yeah? We're the, we're the ones who's going to save them from their addiction problem. Yeah? Has that one worked? <laughs> no, that one doesn't work either. Okay. So, you know, the thing of always putting it on other people 
and us giving them our wise advice because our opinions happen to be the truth. That way of looking at life doesn't work very well. Yeah, doesn't work very well. We often go to the opposite of that. You know, not the thing that I have no faults, but everything is my fault. Okay? And women, I think especially, were conditioned to do this. There's a problem, culpamia. Okay? Um, men get into it too, though. Yeah. But it's, it's another kind of unrealistic way of looking at things, you know? It, I'm so important. I'm so powerful that I botch everything up. Yeah. I'm so unique that everything is my fault. Yeah. Ridiculous way of thinking, isn't it? Yeah. Is everything our fault? Yeah. Of course not. I like this thing. What do they have? No fault driver's insurance. Yeah? <laughs> I like that expression, no fault. I bet you the insurance still has fault. But, <laughs> but you know, I really think that the words fault and blame need to be eradicated or vastly redefined. Yeah? Because picking faults at others, blaming others, is quite unrealistic. And picking at our own faults and blaming at ourselves also is not very productive. Okay? One of the reasons that these aren't very productive, in addition to the tone of voice and the way we talk to others or the way we talk to ourselves, is that we're confusing the behavior with the person, okay? The behavior that a person does and the person themselves are different, okay? We can say a behavior is inappropriate, but we can't say a person is evil, okay? You're going to say, why? You know? Everybody talks about evil people. Yeah, first on the chart is Adolf Hitler, then ISIS, followed by Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong. There are evil people. From a Buddhist viewpoint, no. There are no evil people. Yeah? There are inappropriate actions, non-virtuous actions, harmful actions. But it doesn't mean that the people who do them are evil. It means the people who do them are suffering and they have rampant confusion in their mind because they think that by doing what they're doing, they will bring about happiness. Yeah. It's a very different way yeah, if you look at ISIS now, yeah, I mean, those people we look, oh, chop, you know, Jihadi John who goes around chopping off heads, okay? You know, we're, we're like, if somebody's evil, he's evil. 
you know, look at it a different way. He's very confused. Wouldn't you say somebody that delights in decapitating people is confused? If that isn't confusion, what is? Yeah? If somebody thinks that that's going to bring happiness in the world, if somebody derives pleasure from that, they're very confused. And they're in a state of very, very deep suffering. But they're not evil. Because you put them in another situation, yeah, you teach them to think in another way, and they can be kind. I mean, I'm sure Hitler's family thought he was very, very kind. And it's often hard. I mean, <laughs> I'm just using the example of Nazi Germany. <coughs> but for children of some of the SS soldiers to realize that their parents they love, uh, who were so amazingly kind to them, were also the people who worked at the, at the camps and executed people. Yeah, so nobody's completely corrupt. Everybody has some kindness in them. Everybody has the seeds of wisdom in them. Yeah. In, in Buddhist language, we say everybody has the Buddha nature or the Buddha potential. In other words, everybody can become a fully awakened being. Everybody has the possibility of removing all of their faults and bring it, you know, uh, enriching their, their good qualities limitlessly. Everybody has that potential. And all the negative actions that we've done, and we've all done some, haven't we? Yeah? Um, all of those, the, the seeds from those negative actions, the imprints, that all can be purified. Okay, so the ability to become fully awakened exists within us. And it exists in Jihadi John and Osama bin Laden. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, not only our favorite politician, but. Uh, or maybe I should say our favorite businessman. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also fill in the blank for whoever you have in your life that you consider absolutely beyond hope. You know, and think that that person has the seeds of goodness within themselves. Okay. And it's true because if you put that person in a very different situation, they are going to think and act differently. And us, who have no faults and all wisdom, if you put us in a different situation and condition us in a different way, we may act like them. Yeah? You know this psychological experiment they did many years ago where they had people, what was it, shock? people, you know, and get some reward for And they had to stop the experiment, you know, because these good people 
we're all of a sudden feeling the power that comes from, you know, having power over somebody and inflicting pain. And, you know, they did what they wouldn't ordinarily do. Okay, so it's not for us to really judge ourselves or judge other people. Yeah? Or blame ourselves or blame other people. What I use is take responsibility. Yeah? And the th- the it starts with, I am responsible for what I think. And I'm responsible for what I say, and I'm responsible for what I do. And okay, I may have had a lot of childhood conditioning, but now I'm an adult. As a child, I couldn't control what conditioning I got. I didn't have a lot of wisdom. I adapted whatever the influence of the world was around me. But now I am not a child. I am an adult. And I have the ability to think for myself and see what of my own assumptions or preconceptions are realistic and which ones are harmful and off the wall. And then go about the process of freeing myself from those harmful assumptions and preconceptions and freeing myself from some of the habitual behavior that I developed before. So instead of blaming my problems on somebody else, which makes me into a a helpless victim who can't ever recover or do anything useful, it gives, when I'm respond, when I take responsibility, yeah, it means I have the ability to change the situation. Mm. Yeah, and we do have that ability. If we're waiting for somebody else to change so that the situation changes, (laughs) you know? So we have to do the changing. So this doesn't mean that we go along with somebody else's bad behavior just because they don't change it. But it means we develop a way inside of ourselves. If they're doing something that's ethically, you know, against, well, ethically reprehensible, then we just don't get involved. And we're very straightforward about that. Sorry, I cannot do that. And with a clear conscience, it doesn't correspond to my values. Yeah? So we don't get involved with it. For all the other things that we blame people for, you know, then some of them, we have to find a way in our own mind to be able to accept the situation and still act in a useful way. So there may be somebody, you know, at your workplace who always makes a very similar mistake. So instead of getting angry, you know, maybe that person needs some help. Yeah. And you need to sit down with them and tutor them or ask them how to do something. And then when they show, if they show you the incorrect way, 
say, well, what about if we try this? Yeah. There's lots of ways to go about things. Yeah. And there's lots of ways to bring things up without telling somebody off directly. Yeah. What, what I very often do here is if there's something that I see that I think is not so good for the community, and I've noticed other people at the Abbey do this too, when we're all having a meeting, we'll say, you know, I want to check about this. Didn't we decide we're going to do X, Y, Z? And everybody goes, yeah. Uh, well, then I'm having a little bit of trouble because there's some people, you know, there's some things that are going on that aren't corresponding with X, Y, Z. And then everybody goes, hmm, yeah. And that's very different than pointing at the finger at one person and saying, you're doing this. Okay? Very often. I mean, this is how they do things in monasteries where people are just as sensitive as on the outside, but we're trying to become less sensitive. Yeah? That's the, that's the good part, is we're trying to be less sensitive. And sometimes we manage. But, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's much more skillful just to pose it as a question. Yeah? And then people reflect on what's happening. Now, I wanted to, because in this book, when I did the book, um, you know, I asked people to please uh, tell me stories from their own lives that correspond to the verses in the book. So we sat around the kitchen table, which I think is where most of important life decisions are made, um, <laughs> you know. And and people told stories, and then some people emailed me stories. So I thought to read you something here. Okay, so this is one story. Although I have no idea which of the people around me is a bodhisattva, I find this verse helpful because it makes me look at my critical mind that picks faults in other people. This mental state is definitely self-centered. What do you think? Is it self-centered? It is, isn't it? And when it's active, my inner experience is that I feel diminished. Yeah. There's nothing about being critical and belittling other people that feels good. Yeah. Think about your own experience. When you're critical of somebody else and you belittle, belittle them, Maybe for about a fifth of a second, you feel good, like I got it off my chest, but how do you feel after that? Especially if it's somebody you care deeply about. Do you feel good about having belittled them? You don't. In fact, it feels rotten. <laughs> Recognizing that helps me to see that my motivation is not what I want it to be. When I'm being critical of someone, there's not genuine concern for him. Mm -hmm. And when I have genuine concern for another person, I don't see his traits or actions as false. Isn't that true? Yeah. 
when we are very fond of somebody, they may have a lot of faults. We don't see that, those faults. We see everything they do as beautiful. Yeah, we're not very objective, actually. But um, when we have care and concern for somebody, then we're looking at their suffering. We're not looking at what they do that we don't approve of or we don't like. Yeah, We're looking at their life and saying, wow, it'd be nice if they had happiness, if they had more peace of mind. And we don't notice their faults. Or if we notice the faults, we see that the faults, you know, or instead of faults, maybe those particular attributes that person has, we, we see them as indicative of that person's own internal pain. Yeah? Don't you think Jihadi John had a lot of pain inside? My goodness. I don't, uh, when I have genuine concern for another person, I don't see his traits or actions as faults. Instead, I see them more as reflections of the other person's unhappiness and suffering. Then compassion arises in my mind. Yeah. So when we can see beneath the person's external behavior the incredible suffering they have, then instead of criticizing them, compassion arises. Yeah, because they're suffering so much. And their suffering is making them do and say such amazingly foolish things. Okay. So, uh, yeah, quite a good thing to think about this. And then also, you know, when other people point out our faults, instead of saying, oh, I just went to this talk where they talked about not doing this, here's a, you know, <laughs> here's the link on the website. Um, <laughs> watch it and don't criticize me anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but when people, you know, criticize us or tell us our faults, to, to listen and to say thank you. Okay, because we're always saying we want to improve ourselves, aren't we? We're always saying that. And sometimes we're totally blind to things we do that are disturbing to other people. Or we're blind to ideas we have that are off the wall. And so, you know, first listen to the other person and just say thank you for giving me the feedback. Thank you doesn't mean that I accept everything you say about me is true. Thank you means, you know, you're doing your best to help me. Yeah, and interpret what they say in that way. Even if they have the intention to harm you and insult you, you interpret it as they're helping me. Thank you. Then you step back and, you know, when you're not with the person, then you examine what they said. You know, is what they said true or is it not true? Yeah. If the feedback they're giving 
is accurate, yeah, then it's good for me to become more aware of my uh, behavior because what I'm doing is disturbing to other people. Yeah. Um, sometimes what I'm doing may not be ethically bad or n most people may not find it disturbing, but, it fi but this one individual defines it, finds it disturbing. Yeah. So then maybe I just have to be careful of my habit when I'm around that person. Yeah. But maybe it's not that I have to revise my belief. It's just I change the behavior around that person or I deal with it in a different way. Other times, the, the feedback somebody gives us, we look at it and we can see, oh, okay, you know, there's been some misunderstanding here. Yeah, I did something for X reason. They're thinking I did it for Y reason. So I need to go back to them and explain what my motivation was, how I saw the situation, you know. And just to accept within that that different people have different ways of seeing situations. And how it looked to me and how it looked to them can be very, very different, you know, because we all look at things through our own self-centered perspective, through our own lens. So it can be very helpful to have these kinds of discussions and not hold on so tightly to what we believe and not go to the other extreme and think that just because somebody said something, it's true and we've got to change. Okay, are you getting what I'm meaning? Yeah? So it isn't don't believe, just don't believe everything you think, like the title of the book. It's don't believe everything anybody thinks, <laughs> yeah. But step back and use your wisdom and decide for yourself. Yeah. And the more we study the Buddha Dharma, the more our wisdom increases, yeah. And so it becomes easier to evaluate these different situations, okay? Yeah, so we don't want to go, you know, the one extreme of they're always wrong or the other extreme of I'm always wrong or their feedback is always right or my opinions are always right. No, you want to be able to step back and really look with some honesty about it. And sometimes in doing that, we realize that actually we're not very clear. We're not so clear about what we believe or we're not so clear about our own motivation. So we need to do some more internal reflection and gain some clear clarity within ourselves. Okay? So there's a little bit of time for questions and maybe answers and some comments. Yes? Yeah, yeah. So how to take responsibility for our m emotional responses. You know, at the beginning, when with our emotions, 
we feel that whatever our emotion happens to be in a certain situation, that any reasonable person would feel the same way that we feel. Yeah, and we, we feel, or we think, I should say, that whatever our emotional response is, that it's a co completely correct and valid. Yeah, like it's the only thing anybody in our situation could possibly feel. Yeah, when you're angry, does it ever occur to you that you could feel something different in that situation? Or do you just think, I'm angry and this is, this is the, you know, anybody would be angry about this. Yeah? So we, our way of thinking often boxes us in because we, we think, I keep saying we feel, it's actually we're thinking. We're thinking that whatever our emotion is, there's no way to change it because it's com anybody would feel that way. Yeah. Even the Buddha. Yeah. If the Buddha got criticized by his boss and threatened to get laid out, ev off, even the Buddha would be mad. <laughs> uh, that one I don't know about. Okay. So, you know, first we have to give ourselves some, uh, some mental and emotional space to know that our emotions aren't givens we don't always have to feel the way we're feeling. That for emotional responses that are painful, that are inappropriate, that are exaggerated, there is a way to apply antidotes to them by seeing the situation in a different perspective. And that way, the story behind the emotion gets changed. Because behind all of our disturbing emotions, there's a story. Yeah? We usually don't feel like there's a story. We just think this has happened and, you know, that's it. But actually, in any situation, we are interpreting things. And how we interpret things is our story making. And what story we make you know, creates our emotion. So, you know, th this book actually has all sorts of ways on how to look at the situation differently. But if we do, it, uh, it's very, very helpful. Yeah? And then we can take responsibility because we start changing our story. And, you know, somebody says some points out our fault, for example, criticizes ourselves, us, and immediately we get defensive, we get aggressive, or maybe we get defensive and we immediately shut down. Yeah. Depends upon what habit you generated when you were a kid, usually. Some people, criticism, I withdraw, I shut down, I back away, I don't relate to you. Yeah. Other people, criticism, who do you think you are? You know, aggressive in return. 
Okay? Both responses are problematic, aren't they? Okay? But if we look, like, what's the story I'm telling myself? Somebody pointed this situation out to me. Why am I so defensive about it? If it's true, and I did do that, then why do I have to explain myself 15 million times and make up excuses and lie and this, that, and the other thing? Why don't I just say, yeah, I did that and it wasn't very smart, was it? You know, it'd be so easy. But instead, no. We, we never admit that we misunderstood something. And, you know, so in that way we don't take responsibility for, for our story, for our emotions, and for our behavior afterwards. We just have the attitude of, well, I feel what I feel because this situation is an objective thing out there that anybody would respond to emotionally like this. And my response, everybody just has to deal with it too bad. Hmm? Yeah. Look at our presidential. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah? I think sometimes that's why people like him so much, because he gives them the permission to just say, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's your problem, it's not my problem, my anger is valid, I have no responsibility, I'm just going to be angry. Yeah, so we spend a lot of time being angry, where does it get us? Or we spend a lot of time moping and feeling sorry for ourselves. Where does it get us? Yeah, it doesn't get us anywhere, does it? So we have to look at the stories that lie behind this. You know, behind the moping story. You know, oh, somebody looked at me this certain way. I know that look. That means that the person doesn't like me. I knew it all along. We were such good friends, and it was such a wonderful relationship. Until now, until that person gave me that look, now I know it's really over. <sighs> you know, and I trusted them so much. And it was so good, and I'm just devastated again. And, uh, you know, I can't face them. I mean, how can I face them after they looked at me that way? I, I, I can't face them again, you know. I just feel so terrible about myself because yet again I botched up another friendship again. <laughs> yeah? Right? Yeah, where does that get us? Nowhere. Is it true? It's garbage, isn't it? <laughs> yeah? Maybe the person looked at us that way because they had the hiccups. <laughs> you know? Or they had a stomach ache or who knows what. But we make up a whole story about it. Okay. I watched something very interesting uh, yesterday. If you go to the New York Times, they had, yesterday or the day before, yesterday, they uh, had this thing, you know, about police brutality. And 
the whole thing of wearing body uh, body cameras, yeah, and people thinking that would really, you know, show you what was going on. So they had you fill out a little thing of, you know, I don't trust the cops. I usually don't trust the cops, or I tend not to trust them, and I tend to trust them, and I very much trust them. And so you kind of see where you are on it. And then they, they show you, you know, a video. So the first video, they, the, you know, you're watching. It's only like four or five seconds. The body camera's here on the cop, and there's another person in front, and there's no sound to it. You're just watching the, the camera. And everything's going wild, you know. It's like the person in front is moving, and the body camera, you know, because the officer's moving and going like this. Everything's going wild, okay? And so then uh, how they, they say, well, how much danger do you think the officer was in? And most people say a lot, you know? And, and then they show the same situation from an outside viewpoint. And what <laughs> the officer <laughs> and the other person were doing was like doing jumping jacks in front of each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was nothing, no physical assault at all. But from the viewpoint of the body camera, it looked like, oh, wow, something's going on here. You know. Then there was another one that I found very interesting where, you know, the cop is approaching the car from the back and, uh, and all of a sudden the guy in the driver's seat quickly opens his, his door and jumps out and waves his hand. And the cop freaks out, you know, starts, you know, everything. And, <laughs> and then they say, you know, and this was taken from, oh, this was taken from the camera in the cop's car, you know, from the dashboard camera. So you're seeing the back of the, the, the officer as he's approaching, and then the guy gets out of his car, opens the car door quickly, and is <coughs> waving his hands, and then the cop, you know, pulls out his gun. Yeah, because he thinks that the guy, uh, you know, has a gun, is going to shoot it. Then it shows... That and it look and it looks like from that viewpoint that the guy who because the guy who came out of the car was waving his hand, it looks like he smacked the officer, and the officer fell down because of that. Yeah, from the viewpoint of the side, you know, not not the dashboard camera, but somebody standing at the side with their handy dandies <laughs> smartphone. It was very clear that the guy jumped out of the car quickly. He started waving his hands around, but there was no physical contact. There were several feet between him and the officer. There was no contact. And when they talked to the guy who jumped out of the car very quickly and waving his hands, it was because there was a bee in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? And so it, it really pertains to this thing, doesn't it? How we see a situation from a certain perspective, and even with a camera, you know, we can get a false impression of what's going on. And we make up a story about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So it's very good to look at our stories, you know, and especially if we have habits of making up the same type of story again and again, yeah, then it's something we really need to look at. Because then we're not even thinking. It's like just emotional reaction. or not really our responsibility. Yeah, the word fault has this thing of, you know, there's something wrong with you. Um, I think it is good, you know, if we find ourselves in a, in a not so good situation, to step back and say, okay, what, did, what is my part of it? What did I say yes to, or what did I say no to, that resulted in me getting in this situation? Okay, and then we might see specific things where maybe we were blind to something, yeah, or maybe we thought, oh, it'll go away, you know, you know, it would, yeah, just where we were blind, where there may have been some red flags, but we ignored them, okay, and then we can say, okay. You know, I got myself in this situation. The other person, yes, they may have been deceitful. Yeah. Or they may have been lying. Or they may not have intentionally not lied. They may have just been very, very confused themselves. But whatever it is, I just went along with it. And I didn't stop and pay attention to the red flag. Or maybe I was so enamored with this person that I didn't even see there was a red flag. Yeah. And then that's very helpful, I think, um, to free ourselves from always blaming other people. Because when we always blame people, then there's no way to let go of the anger. Whereas when we say, you know, I didn't pay attention to the red flag. Then there's some. Then we can let go of the anger, and we can also see that we can uh, keep ourselves from getting into that situation again in the future. Okay. Yeah. Has anybody ever gotten yourself in a situation where there were red flags and you ignored them? Oh my goodness, I've gotten myself into the biggest jams <laughs> by ignoring red flags or not seeing red flags that were there or thinking that this person, you know, has so much this, 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 and you know, I'm going to change them or who, who knows what. Yeah, craziness. Yeah. Well, I would say learn the Buddha's teachings. Start at the beginning, learn what you can, put it into practice as much as you can. 
you know. Um, I think the thought training teachings are especially helpful. There's a whole genre. Uh, this one is one of them, from of thought training teachings, which talk a lot about uh, how to put things into practice in daily life, and how to cultivate different kinds of attitudes. Yeah, that I find very very helpful. Okay, this will be the last question. Like, how are they suffering? Yeah, or okay. Because you're tremendously confused. But if we look, for example, at ISIS, if you look historically at the evolution of the Muslim world in the modern context, yeah, you can begin to understand how they feel how they may feel threatened by the West because of the technology, because Westerner Western countries developed bigger and better weapons faster than other places in the world. And we used our bigger and better weapons on those other places. So the people in those countries have a reaction to it. On one hand, it's a feeling of, oh, but we're intelligent too. How come we didn't do it? And another of, how can these people use these things on us, you know, uh, rather than sit down and talk or rather than approach the situation in another way, okay? And so they feel resentful. They f may feel... Like they may f there may be a, a tinge of we're losing out or we're getting oppressed. If you look at the Middle East, you know if if you learn something about colonialism and what the European powers did in the Middle East, it makes much more sense why the people don't get along and why there's such a mess there because they moved people from one place to another. They drew boundaries of countries that didn't make any sense. Yeah, they used harsh weapons on other people, you know, to, to get what the West wanted. So when you really study the history and then you think, what would, how would I feel like if I were living in a country and another power came in and started doing things? We haven't had that experience in this country, have we? You know, we've had a civil war. We've never had an invasion. I mean, Pearl Harbor, but that was in the middle of the ocean. But never in the continental U.S. have we been occupied, you know, and they didn't occupy Pearl Harbor. They just dropped bombs on it. We have no idea what people feel like living in that kind of situation. Yeah, and when you know, you, you're a young person with a lot of energy and you feel like your culture's oppressed and you think, I want to do something about it. And you see the rest of the world being violent, then you think violent might, might work. And I'm a patriot. 
for my cause. You know, who is a patriot and who is a, a terrorist? It depends where you're standing. Yeah? The people, you know, in 17 whatever it is, who threw the tea into the harbor in Boston, we saw them as patriots. The British saw them as terrorists. Yeah? So if we can learn to look at things from other people's perspective, we can see their suffering better. Yeah. And then, of course, when people are suffering, compassion is appropriate. Compassion simply means the wish for them not to suffer. Yeah. Doesn't mean we give them everything they want, but it means that we're going to try and find some resolution that alleviates their suffering and alleviates ours as well. Yeah. Okay. They're telling us to come eat. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dedicate very briefly. Okay, first of all, sit and rejoice for a moment that we've had this opportunity to listen and share together and hopefully learn something that we can take home with us and apply in our lives so that we will be happier and create more happiness for those around us. So we rejoice at our own goodness. We rejoice at the goodness of everybody here in this room. We rejoice at all the goodness in the world. And there is a lot of it, of people helping each other, doing things that benefit each other. <coughs> 